0: back in Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. And in our last study, as you're turning there in the book of Hebrews, we ended with a very special section regarding Jesus as his role as the high priest, as our intercessor, as the one that mediates between sinful man and a holy and righteous God. And let's go ahead and pray, and we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading and study of his word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I thank you that I'm not the one that builds your church. Uh, Our leadership team, our volunteers, as amazing as they are, they're not the ones that build this church. You are the one that builds your church, and I thank you that you allow us to be a part of that. And so, Lord, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us today. I ask, Lord, that you would light a fire in our hearts, that we would have faith that is active and that we would be strong in the spirit. Lord, I pray that it would not be mundane, that it would not be boring, that it would not be without just seeing you do it exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine for ourselves. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do just a special work this morning as we open your word. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. Help us not to be dull of hearing. Help us not to be hard-hearted. But may we open up your word, and may we also open up our hearts, Lord, to receive from you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, amen. Now, in the context of our letter, the Jews that were living in Jerusalem at this time would understand very greatly the importance of the role of the high priest. For once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple to offer a sacrifice for the people. The high priest would act as an emissary, if you will, on behalf of the people of Israel, And would meet with God and sacrifice for the sins of the nation. We left off in Hebrews 4. If you look at verses 14 through 15. The writer says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we see Jesus, the only high priest who is ever called great. Jesus, the only high priest who ever passed through the heavens. And Jesus, the only high priest who is the Son of God. And I love that Jesus sympathizes with my weaknesses and that he understands me. Because often, even in a group like this, this morning, you can feel completely alone, even though you're surrounded by a lot of people. You wonder if anybody understands you or really gets you or or can sympathize with how you're feeling and what you're wrestling with or what you're working through. And what a hope it is that we have in the Lord, knowing that he gets us, he understands us, he knows our thoughts afar off, the Bible says. That he understands the things that make us happy, the things that cause sorrow, the things that we're concerned with, and maybe even the burdens that you carried in today that he understands that you have and that he would ask you to lay down at his feet. But see, the same type of overcoming power that Jesus had is available to you. That loving sympathy is available to you. Now, I wonder, how many of you have sinned lately? I wonder how many of you have. I wonder how many of us here today have a propensity for a certain type of sin. You know, it's that that thing that just gets us almost every time. But I also wonder if we have taken a long, hard look in the mirror and have sat there and asked ourselves an honest question of, how does it make me feel after I sin? The Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a moment, so we'll grant you that. But afterwards... Isn't it just so interesting how the same devil who is tempting you to give in to sin is the same exact person who's condemning you for giving into sin? Oh, you should do this. And then afterwards it's, how could you? It's funny how that works. Was it a random one-off type of sin where you just had a bad day or is it something that plagues you regularly? How do you feel? Do you feel close to God or do you feel far from him? Do you feel like you can approach the Lord, for, you know, and ask for forgiveness for the 15th millionth time? Or do you feel like you can rush boldly into the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, "I'm sorry." Again. See, the role of the high priest was to intercede between a sinful people and a complete and in total holy God. Man could never approach God. His sin separated himself from God you and I can't approach God in our own righteousness Isaiah the prophet even says your own righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God so here we come with all I'm a good person and I do all these good things and God aren't you just going to grant me access to heaven it says your righteousness is like filthy rags The same ones that you keep under your kitchen sink and use to wipe down things on your floor. That is your righteousness in the sight of a holy God. But see, the high priest, he not only interceded Jesus as the high priest, if you will, he not only interceded between sinful man and holy God, he removed the wall of separation. Because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. You know, Peter often I think a lot of guys kind of relate to Peter. He was kind of brash. He, he, he kind of flew off the handle from time to time, said things he ought not to be saying. He was a pretty physical guy. He was even a little bit violent when he tried to take Jesus. You know, he chopped off Malchus, you know, the, the servant of the high priest's ear. You know, and Peter, though, had a transformation in his life that was just so remarkable. And this big brute of a guy, as many believe he was, wrote in First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Cast all your care upon Jesus, for he cares for you. I love how this can be read. Go to Jesus with all of your concerns, because he is concerned for you. Take all of your anxieties and your causes for worry, and place them upon Jesus, for he cares about you. So what do we do? With all those things that are burdening us from the weight of our problems. Maybe you're struggling in school or you're having a hard time at work or your marriage is you know under strain or your kids aren't listening or your health is declining or whatever it may be. We cast our burdens upon him because he cares for us, our unconfessed sins. We don't go to anyone before we go to Jesus. That's why in Hebrews 4, 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. From verse 16 here in Hebrews 4, did you notice the things that I just read, the two things that you find when you boldly approach the Lord? There's two. He says that you will find or you might obtain mercy, you will obtain mercy and you will find Help. But before you find help, before you obtain that mercy, let's look at the word boldly. Come boldly. It's interesting that it's quoted here as, or translated here rather, as boldly because literally it can mean three things. And you'll see this recorded a number of times in the scriptures. It means with, behind, or after. Listen to what I'm about to say. When you have sinned, when you are burdened, you are able to approach the throne room of God because you do not do so alone. In Romans chapter eight, verse 34, it says, Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. And even furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. See, the reason that we're able to enter into the throne room of almighty God is because Jesus has gone in before us. Or better yet, we enter in boldly because we actually enter in with, behind, or after Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to get into an exclusive event that was by invitation only. You needed to have a wristband or a lanyard or your name had to be, you know, on the list, so to speak. Maybe it's even the classical big buff bouncer guys with a velvet rope. And they're letting people in one at a time. You know, and you find yourself, you know, getting stopped after the person who is supposed to be there goes in. You get stopped and then you say, I'm with him. Typically won't get in. That person's already long gone, and they're like, yeah, sure, get out of here, buddy. But however, if the person that's supposed to be there turns around after he crosses through that velvet rope entrance and says, he's with me, wow, what a difference that makes. The one that belongs there looks back to you and says, "Yep, that guy's with me. He's with me. This is the same thing that we're looking at when we enter in boldly to the throne room of the Lord, the throne room of God. We are able to go in boldly because we go in with or really behind or after Jesus. We don't enter in alone. So Jesus is more than what the Jews of this day that this letter was written in would understand of what a high priest was, what a high priest was, what his role was all about. Jesus was more. Because in their minds, they would never think of approaching God because of their sins. The only way that they could vicariously approach God would be for the high priest to offer a sacrifice on their behalf. As a side note, the mindset of the Jew has today changed drastically from those to whom this letter was written, where now there is a belief that you can just go directly to God and you don't need Jesus or anyone to intercede for you. For in verse one of Hebrews chapter five, it says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. So as you grow in your knowledge of what the Bible says, the high priest's duty was to intercede on behalf again, as I've already mentioned, to intercede on behalf of a sinful man and a holy God. But according to the law of Moses, this man would be from the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron, you know, Moses' brother, who was the first head of the priesthood. But this man was just a sinful man with a sinful nature, just as the people he was interceding for, this priest according to the Jews. Not even the high priest had direct access to God, for he first must offer a sacrifice for himself, for his own sins, before offering one for the people. And it is true, as we read here, that he was taken from among men, other priests. He was selected and appointed for men in things pertaining to God. But because this priest had a sinful nature and himself needed a covering for his own sin, it says in verse two, as we read of chapter five, Hebrews five, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. This is, that man could have been Zechariah; it could have been any man. He had a sinful nature, but he understood The sin of man because he sinned himself. The high priest was to be compassionate. Verse 3, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. So, hey, I understand the weakness of man. I am a man. He understood the need for forgiveness of sins because he needed forgiveness of sins. But again, there are a handful of things to note that are different between Jesus as our high priest And then the man selected as high priest in Judaism. I gave you three already, which were Jesus is the only priest called great. He is the only one who passed through the heavens. And he is the only high priest referred to or called the son of God. But additionally, Jesus is the only high priest who was without sin. He is the only high priest who did not need someone to bridge the gap between him and God. He did not need a covering for his own sin in order to now make a covering for his people's sin. As it says in Matthew chapter 1, they shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. And in verse four, it says, And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. For a man to be selected to offer incense before the Lord and sacrifice on behalf of the people, he would never select himself to do so. It was not a self-appointed position. It was something ordained by God. It's also, too, the same for those that are called into the ministry by the Lord. There is no amount of education that equates with a calling from the Lord. Man cannot ordain you. God ordains you. God calls you. In the scriptures, we see a few instances, and these are things you want to file away for, le- for later because there were three instances in, where, uh, in which men took it upon themselves to act as priests when they ought not to. first, Number 16 was a man by the name of Korah who rebelled against Moses, rebelled against God's law, and some call it a divine earthquake where the earth opened up and swallowed him. And God dealt with that. Nope, you don't appoint yourself and you don't go against what I've commanded you to do. Next in 1 Samuel, Saul, he was rejected by God as king, and he took it upon himself to do things he ought not to be doing. Uzziah, in the temple itself, he was the king. And he was struck with leprosy. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. Also, I used to laugh at this, and it's not really funny, I guess. But, you know, in in the time where the high priests would enter into the Holy of Holies, they would wrap a rope around his leg. His garments also had bells that jingled when he moved. And as he was, you know, offering incense to the Lord, you'd hear, hear the jingles of the bells. And the people that were standing outside were like, God forbid those bells ever stop jingling because that meant something went drastically wrong and no one was gonna go into the place of the Holy of Holies to check on the high priest. So that's why they had the rope and they would just pull his dead body out, pull him by the leg. True story. It's just in case something went wrong. So you don't wanna take it upon yourself to act as God's high priest. And so it says, and so also in verse five, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, which was God the Father, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus, even though he was the son of God, did not appoint himself as priest. Now, the Jews of the day would have noticed a few things about Jesus. Maybe you read about it in the gospels. First, they would have known that Jesus was not of the line of Aaron. He was not a Levi. They would also have noticed how Jesus did not serve as a priest in the temple, but rather he he confronted the corruption of Judaism and the priesthood of his day. With the famous quote where he said, my father's house was to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. He didn't go along with the status quo. But we see Jesus is of a different sort altogether. In Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 it says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me you are my son today I have begotten you. This scripture was referenced in the chapter that we're reading again speaking of Jesus in Psalm 10 110 verse 4 and this is where things start to get interesting the Lord has sworn and will not relent you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek so verse 5 quote Psalm 2 verse 7 verse 6 is quoting Psalm 110 verse 4 now Melchizedek now enters one of the most interesting and fascinating individuals in in the entire Bible, in the entire Bible. Of the 11 times that his name is mentioned in the scriptures, it's just 11, nine of them are found in the book of Hebrews, and the two are found, two additional are found in Genesis and in the psalm that I just read, 110 verse 4. A little context to the first time Melchizedek's name appears in the Bible just after Abraham. His name was not yet changed to Abraham. He was called Abram. But in this passage in Genesis, he just saved his nephew Lot from captivity in a great battle. I mean, honestly, I think there's so many amazing stories that have been written and movies that have been made that are based upon some of the coolest like stuff you could read in the scriptures. Abram, there were, four king, there were nine kings that were in battle. Nine. Four kings destroyed this group of five kings, which included the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. These four kings took Lot captive. And when, they, and when Abram heard about this, that his nephew, his brother's son, was taken captive. He took 318 of his own in-house trained servants, divided them up, and then conquered the four kings that destroyed the five kings, saving Lot. Interesting. Those battles back then must have been absolutely amazing. Amazing. And it says in Genesis 14, if you want to turn in your Bible, you can. But it's chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. After Abram routs these kings, saves his nephew, and he has all the spoil now from war. It says, then Melchizedek, this is the first time in the entire Bible that this man's name is mentioned. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He just appears somewhere. And he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says, then Abraham gave him a tithe of all that he had. Now, many have speculated about who this Melchizedek actually is, and it's my personal opinion, and you know what you can do with personal opinions, but it's my belief that this is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. And let me explain why. Well, first it says he is the king of Salem. It says he is also the priest of the Most High God. Let's look at the meaning of his name. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Salem is the original Jerusalem. It also says he's a high priest who just happens to bring out the elements of what would eventually be the same elements of how we recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross, the bread and the wine. Additionally, from Hebrews chapter 7, where we will unpack this much further in the months ahead, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham during, or excuse me, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, which was not just his spoil, it was a tenth of everything that he owned, he gave. And it says, first being translated king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. But then in verse three, your mind gets blown because then it says Melchizedek, speaking of his earthly dwelling, if you will, was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. I love this stuff. This is amazing. This is why I believe that this was Jesus who appeared to Abraham. This is the argument that it would appear that the author of Hebrews is making or the revelation, whichever you prefer. The high priest, that even the father of all of the Jews, the father of Israel would offer a tenth of what he had to this king of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace. Without beginning, without end, I read in Revelation the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And it says, continuing on in verse seven, "Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, this is now trans—excuse uh, <clears throat> me, this is now uh, translating back into who Jesus is. Who in the days of his flesh, meaning the days of his physical life." When he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Here we see the recounting of the agony that Jesus experienced before his death on the cross, where Matthew records him saying, Father, if it's possible may this cup pass from me? And he says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Where Luke recounts for us that as Jesus began to pray, as his disciples were sleeping and they wouldn't stay awake and pray with him and watch before he would be betrayed and eventually handed over to the leaders of the Jews and then given over to Pilate. He prayed and began to sweat as with great drops of blood. Falling to the ground, agonizing prayer. And Jesus did offer up prayers. He did offer up supplications with vehement cries and tears. And the Father heard him. In in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus knew why he had come to the earth to lay down his life for the sins of the world. Paul records for us of Jesus' obedience to the Father in Philippians 2.8, where he says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. In Hebrews 5, verse 7, we see something pretty interesting, and I found this fascinating. Maybe you will or will not. But in the Greek language, this word for supplications, it actually means an olive branch that is wrapped in wool. And the Greeks of the day, the Greek worshiper, would hold this olive branch wrapped in wool, and wave it to express their desperate, desperate prayer and desire. That's the etymology of that word in the Greek for supplications. David Guzik said this, and I quote, Significantly, this supplication of Jesus took place in a garden of olives, and he supplied the quote-unquote wool being the Lamb of God, end of quote. Additionally, Jesus learned, and I think this is where it will hit us most significantly today, is Jesus learned obedience by obeying through great suffering. Obedience to the Lord is the most difficult when done so through suffering. Are you suffering through obedience this morning? Are you doing what's right and it's hard or it's cost you? You're hurting. I have to tell you that I don't like it when I'm suffering. If I did, I probably have a greater problem. But there's something about myself that is absolutely undiscoverable apart from it, and even more so about who Jesus is. The things that I discover about me, my weaknesses, my need for a savior, my dependency upon Almighty God, they're not shown to me unless it's through my time of greatest need. And there's not ever a greater temptation to disobey God and to throw the towel in when you're suffering. And yet even greater still, I'll see who Jesus is. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And it just so happens that if I have enough faith to act, if I'm trusting the Lord, I'll obey. And if I'm obeying the Lord, guess what? I am living a pure life even in the midst of difficulty and suffering, even if it's costing me something. But then I remember, well, if I'm trusting the Lord enough to obey him and I'm obeying the Lord and not in disobedience, even when I'm having a hard time, then that means that I'm living pure before the Lord. And then I go back again to what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And that's exactly what happens every time you're obedient through your most difficult and painful experiences. You see Jesus. 100% of the time, you see Jesus. You see your sin for what it is. You see your weakness. You see your propensity to do things that are self-destructive. But through it all, you find Jesus, your high priest, ever living to make intercession for you. The one that's already gone into the throne room so you can say, I'm with him. No, he says, he's with me. And I enter into that place where I find forgiveness boldly because I have come behind, I've come with, I've come after Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was also the church leader in Jerusalem, said this in James 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, that you might be complete, and that you may lack nothing. And so we see tying in perfectly in verse 9 of Hebrews 5, it says, And Jesus having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God, verse 10, as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I don't want to be dull of hearing. I don't want to have a hard heart. I don't want to come to church and be like, oh yeah, tell me something I haven't heard already. I don't want to be like that. Jesus did suffer to the point of death on the cross, but guess what? He rose again on the third day and God willing, we'll celebrate that again this coming Easter. But Jesus is perfectly suited to be the author and the finisher of your faith. He created you. He sustains you. He's transformed you. He ministers to you, and He will one day resurrect you into eternal life. So that's why I look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. That's why when I'm tempted to sin, we say, Lord, help me. Give me victory. Give me strength. Lord, even if it may cost me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Lord, I know this is going to be hard. Lord, I know this might involve suffering. And even when I'm in the midst of it, Lord, help me not deny your name. Lord, I have little strength. But may I keep your word and may I not deny your name. Lord, thank you that you've already gone before me. You've prepared my way. You are the way. Lord, thank you that when I approach God, I don't do so alone in my own righteousness that's filled. With holes like filthy rags. Jesus says, he's with me. She's with me. I've paid the price for them. They're forgiven. My righteousness, I have imputed. I have given to them. And so whether it's the first time or it's the hundredth time, you come to that throne room of God boldly because Jesus is with you. And through faith in Jesus and through confession of sins, you find that he forgives you and he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. This is who we're looking at today as Jesus, the high priest. Not a sinful man who needed to cover his own sins before offering sins the, the, the sacrifice for the sins of his people, but he was the perfect lamb of God. He was the wool wrapped around that olive branch, if you will. As he sweat great drops of blood there on the Mount of Olives, the place of the olive press. From there he would lay down his life for your sins and for my sins. This is how you approach God. You cannot approach God through anyone else. Jesus is the only way, he is the only truth, and he is the only life. And there probably isn't a more radical statement than you can make than that today. You can't get there through any other world religion or world religious leader. You cannot get there in your own efforts. You cannot do anything in your own strength or your own might to approach God. You will never make it. You will never be good enough. But that's why Jesus came. That's why God sent his only son. So instead of you trying to stand on your tippy toes and get those good works to somehow reach God. God said, I will reach you through my son, Jesus. And there you find hope of eternal life. And what a great high priest we have who understands us, who mediates, who intercedes. We have the Holy Spirit that has been set upon us as a seal saying that we belong to the Lord. Don't ever take that for granted. God has great things in store for you. He's gone before you, not only in the heavenlies, but he's gone before you here on this earth. He is telling you, this is the way, walk in it. I've shown you how you might be godly. I've shown you how you might have victory. And it's found in the word of God. It's found nowhere else apart from God's word. This is what you have. And so you can step confidently into any season that you might be in in your life, any situation that might just present itself to you that you might find yourself in. And even in your greatest time of trial, suffering, and need, you can find yourself with the strength to be obedient and to honor the Lord in all things. For that, we say hallelujah. Thank you, God. It's no longer my attempt to reach the Lord in my own efforts. It's Jesus. He's the one. And I'm so glad that he said, hey, Garret's with me. Thank you, Lord. It's the same thing he says to those of you who have put your faith in him. It's not, hey, I'm with that guy. No, it's Jesus saying, no, they're with me. That's how we're granted access. Don't ever forget it. If you come to this church, I probably never let you will, but that's uh, for another time. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would please fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit even now. These things that we've read, these things that we've studied, I ask, Lord, that they would sink deep, Lord, as good seeds bearing good fruit. And I pray, Lord, just not for a little fruit, but for a lot, a lot of great spiritual fruit. I pray, Lord, that you would have your hand upon this church. And we pray, Lord, that this church would continue to grow, to be healthy, to be able to purge sin as the word of God is taught. That the wrong ways of thinking, the wrong ways of living, sinful actions would just be dealt with as the word of God goes forth in power as the Holy Spirit moves to convict the world of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And I pray, Lord, we humbly ask that you would continue to bring the increase, Lord, of great spiritual blessings for every individual and every family, every mother and father and every child, every marriage, And I pray, Lord, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we could ask or imagine for ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would be as that cloud during the day and that pillar of fire during the night, that you would lead us. That we would not harden our hearts as in the day of rebellion. But Lord, we would be obedient to you in all things. And may we find, Lord, great fulfillment in our hearts and in our souls, Lord, because of our obedience to you. Lord, sin leads to death, depression, discouragement. It distances us from you. I pray that if there are any here with unconfessed sin this morning. That they would understand your great love for them. Lord, that they would understand that you've even set forth that command. That all men should repent and turn from their sins. I pray, Lord. For those that have been feeling distant. Just distant from you. I pray, Lord, that as they have drawn near to you today, that you would be true to your word and draw near to them. I pray, Lord, for heavy hearts to be lightened, for burdens to be cast down upon the ground at the feet of Jesus, casting all of your concerns upon Jesus for he is concerned for you I pray lord that your will would be done today and that you go before us this week and may we walk in the spirit and may we not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Let's stand. If you need prayer today, our prayer team will be available after service. We'd love to pray with you for anything that you might have on your heart or your mind, for yourself or for someone else. And may the Lord bless you today. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And might I just add, As a church, as a family, that each of us would not only pull our own weight, but we would look at how we can help those that are burdened with things that are greater than one person can bear. That we might be that help to someone in need. As a church, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I would even say the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and who we should invite to church, who we should share the gospel with, who we should pray for. May we truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. May we have just a heart united as one that isn't just going through the motions, but is truly desiring to be who God has called us and has created us to be. And then may we be a force for good, bringing glory and honor to our King of kings and our Lord of lords. In Jesus' name.